You don't think this is a good idea, do you? Yes, this is episode, I was going to say 63, it is episode 83, and wow, I'm so excited to be here tonight. We just got off an awesome interview with the creators of Reese the Series, the latest sci-fi online show, Miles. We had a good time chatting with them. Oh, a nice, a nice group of people, and uh, they're very excited about this project, which has got me excited. I've only seen one episode so far, but uh, uh, so far I'm hooked, and I'm going to... Enjoy this this uh, uh, ride they're going to take us on. Yeah, you heard a little bit about Reese at the beginning of the show in the intro bumper. I'm going to play a little bit about that. But uh, my name is Scott Herzog. I'm one of your hosts here at the diner tonight. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. Yeah, and uh, we are here at the diner bringing you all sorts of sci-fi goodness. Reese is only the tip of the iceberg. We have a lot more that we're going to be giving you tonight. Well, Miles, uh, we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in our sci-fi world, I guess, when we get to our listener episode, which you probably will have heard by the time you listen to this one, because I always drop that one first. But uh, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about what is on the menu tonight, Miles. And uh, let me go ahead and give the menu, and then we'll just kind of get this ball rolling. Does it sound good? Sounds good. Sounds good. Right into it. No chops, bard. Whatever the heck that means. And uh, let's go ahead and get started. On the menu tonight, we have, of course, our interview with Ryan Koppel and Kalina Kiff, creators of Kingdom Falling, a Reese Kingdom Falling, I should say. The, we will be giving you one more, one more final chance to win a $100 Thinky gift certificate by answering our Caprica trivia question. We have a listener question, and this is going to be playing into a show that we're doing at the beginning of December. And so we'll talk about that in just a bit. Um, Walking Dead gets more life. Battlestar Galactica prequel gets lit. Curse, 
like they do in Firefly. We're going to tell you how to do that, or at least a little bit about it. Um, Firefly Downtime is now available as a comic. The next Torchwood series will disturb you. J.J. Abrams gets canceled. No, it's not Fringe, thankfully. X-Files 3, the truth is out there. Harrison Ford is interested in Indy 5, but are we? Scarlett Johansson becomes a sexy alien. And in the twist, Miles brings us his review of Captains of the Final Frontier. And in the Sci-Fi 5 and 5, I'll be bringing you the top five reasons Spider-Man is an awesome superhero. So that is our menu. That's a pretty big menu, Miles. It's, it, it's a lot to uh, serve up, yeah. But you know what? It's not near as big as our last menu. Our last menu, we had tons to talk about. So it's a little bit lighter tonight, but that's okay. We're not going to overload you tonight. Listeners. No, no. Well, let's get into the listener question. The listener question that we would love to get you guys, your, your feedback on, and your, your emails at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. Call in at one 508 or you can just respond to this question. We'll post it up on, I guess, the Facebook fan page as well. But there, here's a listener question that we want your feedback on, and this will be playing into an episode that we do at the beginning of December. And the question is this. What is on your sci-fi Christmas list this year? So I know it's the beginning of December, uh, November here, but what is on your sci-fi Christmas list? Miles, I don't know about you, but I can come up with a couple ideas right away. Yeah, as soon as you asked that, I, uh, a couple things popped in my head too. Yeah, so uh, please let us know what is on your sci-fi Christmas list. You can email them to us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com or just post a note on you can Twitter us, sci-fi diner as well, and let us know that. Well, Miles, let's go into our trivia tonight. And by the way, I, I do apologize. Before you get into that, Miles, I do apologize. If you read my tweet and post about it, apparently I spelled some things wrong. I spelled acronym wrong, and there's something else I spelled wrong in the uh, episode. So eh, just, uh, just to let you know that I apologize for that, and hey, deal with it if you want the $100 gift certificate, right? Right. So, all right, Miles, go ahead and tell us the uh, trivia for this week. Okay, uh, last time we asked, and um, uh, it's kind of a Caprica focus because uh, our, our show Caprica is going to be off the air soon, but um, in Caprica, Daniel Greystone uh, says the term for Cylon is an acronym for what? Dun, dun, dun. A lot of, lot of you out there knew that, and uh, Miles, what do they win if they get this question right? They win a fabulous prize. It's a $100 gift card for Think Geek. Hey, and if you go ahead. Listen to our show anytime. You know, Think Geek is a great site with uh, lots of cool stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And really, what a better time for this prize. You know, you could spend it on yourself, but if you need to buy Christmas gifts, what a perfect way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a perfect way to do that. Uh, so. By all means, um, if you know this – oh, by the way, just because you know the answer doesn't guarantee you win. I mean we only have one of these to give away and a lot of you know the prize. So we end up pulling a name out of a hat kind of a deal and uh, and we'd be happy to uh, – we, we want as many people writing in obviously. But if you know the answer, feel free to contact us. Miles, when do they have to answer this question? Um, they have to uh – Next week is the cutting off time. It is. So November 16th, you have to answer this question. Again, send your answer with your mailing address to sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. You can call us at 1-888-508-4343 or you can DM us on Twitter. 
as well at the Sci-Fi Diner. And uh, they will not be mailing that to you. So I guess really all we need is your email address so they can email you the uh, gift certificate. Because I think that's how they're doing it. So, <clears throat> so I believe that's about it for Trivia Miles. Well, let's move into our first podcast promo for tonight. Um, this actually comes from um, our podcast network we're, we're a part of. We don't often talk about the Lifestyle Pod Network. We do every so often. And this is a show that plays in the Lifestyle Pod Network. And this is done by James Williams. And, and the podcast is called the Lifestyle Jazz Podcast. So if you want some relaxing music or something a little bit jazzy feeling, and I know it's not really sci-fi – but this is a great podcast that you got to check out. Hi there, I'm James Williams, inviting you to listen to Lifestyle Jazz. Lifestyle Jazz is a new contemporary, modern, and smooth jazz show on the Lifestyle Pod Network. It's hosted by me, James Williams, and each show you can enjoy a half hour of some of the best jazz around. So let me invite you now to visit us on our website where you can subscribe to the podcast, look at who we're playing, and listen to a few shows. I look forward to seeing you soon at lifestylejazz.com. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Donner Podcast. Well, Miles, we I think we have all we have is TV and movie news tonight. No DVD, no other. But that's fine. And you, of course, have the twist here at the end. Why don't you take us into our TV news tonight? Okay, some uh, good news if you uh, are enjoying uh, AMC's uh, series Walking Dead. For uh, It is definitely given life for another season. Uh, AMC's network is rewarding its new zombie drama, The Walking Dead, with life for a second season after just two episodes have aired. The series premiered Halloween night as an instant hit, drawing 5.3 million viewers. The second episode, which aired Sunday, was seen by 4.7 million viewers. Set in the Atlanta area, The Walking Dead stars... Andrew Lincoln is a small-town police officer leading a group of survivors after a zombie apocalypse. It is based on a comic book series written by uh, Robert Kirkman. The Walking Dead takes, play, takes its place as AMC's fourth original drama series joining veteran dramas Mad Men and Breaking Bad. The fate of Rubicon, which it recently concluded its first uh, season, remains unclear. Um, uh, Dayton Ward, AMC Greenlight, second season of The Walking Dead. Fox cancels anyway, just out of habit. Yeah, that was a tweet that he put out that I thought was pretty hilarious. So <laughs> Fox canceling right. stuff has always been the joke of us, right? Um, He's probably right, though. Yeah, yeah, Fox would cancel it. I mean, they, would, they said, oh, well, I'm sorry. Fine. Well, you know, and this, this is really not good numbers for Fox, but it's great numbers when you have a cable series. You know? Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, we're looking at, I think, Stargate Universe, I think, is pulling in, what, about 2 million viewers? Is that right? That's not right. Is that right? Uh, not for I'm not sure. Uh, I, anyway, I think it's, uh, it's I think it's about half of that is what they're pulling in, and so this is great for a cable series to be pulling in this number of stuff. Have you gotten a chance to watch Walking Dead? Uh, no, but I, I did record uh, last week's episode. Uh, it's still in my DVR, and I'll have to watch uh, the new one online. I, I plan to catch up on by next time we record our next show. Yeah, well, I did watch, finish the first episode, loved it. It's great. And we'll talk about this maybe a little bit in our listener episode, but I, I love it. I think it's well done, and I can't wait to watch the second episode. I haven't watched that, haven't had the time to do it. But I think it's great that uh, that they renewed it. And what an interesting way to shoot a series in six-episode pieces, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's like this whole standard 21, 22 episodes a season is kind of – 
being broken and being played with all over the place. You know, Miles? Well, I can't, I can't wait to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Miles, you gave me this piece of news. I really should let you talk about it. But the Battlestar Galactica Cylon War prequel has been green lit. Now, this news came out at the end of October. And this is about – this is a Young Adama spinoff series and it is moving forward. So sci-fi will explore more life of William Adama as a green lit Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome, a TV movie pilot for a potential ongoing series. Um, so initially, I think when we heard about this, Miles, we thought it was going to be a web series, right? That, that's what I read up, yeah. Yeah, so now they're making it into, uh, and this is good news, they actually have, I guess with the cancellation of Caprica in the works, uh, they decide they're going to make a TV movie out of it, at least initially, and then uh, see where it goes. I guess it's going to depend on the response to that TV movie. But um, basically, it says this, a few months back, a news broke that Sci-Fi was developing a web series focused on Adama during the events of the first Human Silent War. But AOL TV's Maureen Ryan, the first to hear about the web series, now reveals the network has decided the project to be made, should be made for TV. Michael Taylor, a veteran of both Battlestar Galactica and Caprica, wrote the script for Blood and Chrome, uh, with... R- which Ryan says will take place in the tenth year of the Cylon War, as recent academy as a recent academy graduate Adama and his fellow rookie pilot take a female character on an important mission that could turn the tide of the war. Sci-fi's Mark Stern tells Ryan, "When we read Michael's script, it was so clearly a full-blown pilot for a series. The scope's fantastic and bigger, I think, than anticipated. So we said, hey, let's do a two-hour backdoor pilot. We're going to try and get it up and running as soon as possible.'" Um, Blood and Chrome won't air at least into the fourth quarter of 2011, so we have a long time to wait, so basically this time next year. Though a 2012 debut is more likely, especially if the project goes from TV movie to full-fledged series. That's probably true. Yes, the Battlestar Galactic itself will be seen in Blood and Chrome. While Galactic sets were torn down when BSG ended, they were all digitally scanned beforehand. So they could be used to create virtual sets down the line for potential projects like this one. Stern describes Blood and Chrome as Ryan to Ryan as very much action-adventure war series that is definitely dealing with people who are fighting the fight, as you hope Battlestar would do. Kind of comments on the process a little bit, but not in a preachy way, not in an issue-oriented way, not in a hitting-you-over-the-head type of way. Really, the fabric and canvas of the canvas of the series are the people in the fight and what they grapple with when it comes to each other and what they grapple with when it comes to the enemy they're fighting. While BSG veterans Taylor, David Ank, David Ike, uh, Bradley Thompson, and David Weddle are involved with Blood and Chrome. Battlestar's main creative force, Ron Moore, has no official role. The situation is a bit difficult in that Moore now has a new deal with Sony. The BSG franchise remains with Universal. But Stern tells Ryan that he hopes Moore could be involved in Blood and Chrome should it be an ongoing series. We hope to. Um, um uh, Edward James almost, of course, played the older Adama in Battlestar, while Sinya, how do you say that name, Miles? Najif? Najaf? I don't know. Najifi? <laughs> I can't pronounce his name. Close uh, enough. Yeah, close enough. Uh, plays the child Willie in Adama on Caprica. However, we did get flashbacks to a Solemn War era Adama in Battlestar Galactica Razor, where he was played by Nico Cortez. Uh, speaking as to whether Cortez might reprise a role, Stern tells Ryan, I'm assuming there'll be a full casting process for this pilot, but with Nico at the top of the list. So, Miles, how does that sound like to you? I'm excited. This is... Um I, I, this is kind of what I would have wanted as a kind of like a prequel. I would like to have seen a whole silent, the silent human war explored. And, um, I think 
I mean, I would have watched it as a web series, but the fact that they're bringing it to TV, I think the viewers want this too. Maybe that's why there's some dissatisfaction with Caprica is the, the lack of um, uh, action in the show. And, and this show is going to be like a, a war drama, basically. So, um, no, I, I, bring it on. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, you know, and I would agree. When they're talking about more action-oriented, this is one of the – and it sounds like more – I mean with Asylum War, you're more space battles. This is kind of what we've been looking for, right? They aren't saying space battles, but that's what you kind of assume, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I'm excited about this. My only complaint is I have to wait till the end of 2011. That's mine too. It's – gosh, it's almost – you know. That's a heck of a long time. Now, people won't have forgotten Battlestar. I mean, Battlestar still remains in people's minds. And, hey, when it comes on, we'll, we're going to know it, and we'll be bringing it to you here. We, we're, we're excited about this. Right. Yeah. Bring it on. I can't wait to see it. Bring it on. Well, Miles, I kind of gave you this one, and I did eliminate some of them here. I don't know if you read down through all of them, but uh, give us this next piece of news. Yeah, I did see this. This is, this is funny. Um, uh, Firefly's best Chinese curses and uh, – uh, how, how to say them. Um, so, um, in, in just 14 episodes, Joss Whedon's sci-fi masterpiece Firefly managed to build one of the most devoted fan bases in all of nerddom. Properties like uh, Star Trek or Doctor Who, who may have it beat in sheer numbers, but the brown coats make up for their loyalty and tenacity. What is the secret of the show's appeal? Fans can and will explain the show's engrossing plot lines, fascinating characters, brilliant performances, uh, realistic effects, and unique visual aesthetics. But if we had to choose one reason... It, It'd be the dialogue. We can create a vision of a human future where mankind speaks English primarily with Mandarin Chinese as one might say for for flavor, i.e. profanity. Not only did the the use of Mandarin help inform Firefly's future setting, it it also often will allow the characters to express themselves in terms too absurd, too obscene, or outrageous to be spoken English. Here, then, is a collection of... uh, some of Firefly's most well-absurd, obscene, courageous lines ever delivered in Mandarin Chinese. Much thanks to Firefly Serenity Chinese uh, Pinionary for the uh, translation. So, so we're um, just going to give you just a few of these, and I'll post the rest in the show notes if you really want to read them. Some of them are totally inappropriate to air in this episode. but <laughs> Go ahead, Miles. Give us a few. Um, here, here, here's a good one. Um, 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 I'm gonna to try to say "bunyi tian shung dui duo ro," which means uh, "stupid inbred stack of meat." Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, I feel offended already. Yeah. On a visit to one of uh, Mal's old army buddies, Monty, in an uninhabited moon, Mal and crew encounters a uh, saffron, uh, uh, the beautiful con artist played by um, uh, Christina Hendricks, uh, who once tricked uh, Mal into marriage and nearly stolen his ship. Um, this time. She's taken the name uh, Bridget and married uh, Monty. A short tussle ensues between her and Mal, uh, which uh, Monty breaks up as Mal explains the details of their shared history. When Saffron, who had been denying everything, lets it slip that she knows Mal's name, Monty abandons her on the barren lunar surface. She screams it's been a mandarin to the heavens of, as his ship departs. This phrase is also noteworthy for its use on the back cover of Serenity, the official visual companion, where Chinese characters inform prospective buyers. If you don't buy this book, your friends will think you're a stupid inbred stack of meat. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, Miles, can you give us another one? Uh, he, here's, another, here's another one. Shi Niu. Uh, which means uh, cow sucking. While helping Simon River first infiltrate, uh, then escape from a hospital on the affluent Alliance world of uh, Ariel, Jane delivers a security officer 
uh, I'm sorry, relieves the security officer of his sidearm and non-lethal sonic a rifle. He proceeds to attempt to use the weapon to blow open a locked door to absolutely no discernible effect, thus prompting his response, um, uh, the, 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 the she knew, knew uh, high-tech alliance crap. <laughs> nice. Nice. Oh, and I think I had one more in here, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll post the rest of them online. You can read them, and if you really want to be swearing at You know, here's the amazing thing about this, Miles. They were able to get away with saying so much stuff that we had never made it past network television. Absolutely. I mean, if, uh, <laughs> if, if the censors understood Chinese, um, yeah, they, they would have had to. Uh, we got to read this one, this one more. Just go ahead. Just, go ahead. Um, uh, Holy Mother of God and all her wacky nephews, uh, <laughs> uh, which in Chinese is Wudu Ma Ha to Du Fong Kuang Da Wai Shong. This may be. The awesome phrase you ever heard in any language. Only black already kept it from breaking the top three. Once again, it issues forth from the mouth of uh, Wash and our Mrs. Reynolds. We first encountered the deliciously devious uh, Ginger Con Babe by uh, Saffron. After leading Mal to the special hell, she proceeds to the cockpit where she puts the moves on poor Wash. Only his devotion to Zoe keeps him from succumbing to Saffron's charms. Devotion that earns him a roundhouse kick to the head. This marvelous line in his uh, singular response to Saffron's advances. <laughs> I do remember that scene. That scene. That's awesome. Uh, these are some awesome phrases, and I don't think I'm going to be using any of them too often, especially around my in-laws who know Chinese. But not used in, in better company. No. no, it's definitely well. So that I'll post all 15 on the show notes if you want to read them. But uh, not going to air them here, so uh, don't be offended by some of them. But hey, if you love Firefly, just be aware the stuff was in here. That stuff was just in. But yep. uh, we have some other Firefly moves, 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 There were cows in Serenity, that's for sure. But um, tell me, uh, what's what's the other piece of Serenity news that we have? Well, Serenity Downtime is a slice of life aboard Firefly uh, spaceship. Um, originally reported uh, in USA Today, the legacy writer, director Joss Whedon's Firefly continues to grow. Best described as a space western, the 2002 Fox TV show was canceled before its first season was complete, but it struck a chord with science fiction fans. Although the audience wasn't large enough to persuade Fox to save the show, the write-in campaigns by this devoted fan base resulted in the release of a single season on DVD and production of the 2005 uh, Universal Pictures feature film Serenity. Serenity was the name of Firefly-class uh, spaceship feature on the TV show and the film. Uh, Serenity now lives in the comic book form today. Uh, from the most recent tales of the beloved spaceship and crew, Joss has passed the creative torch to author and brother Zach Whedon. Um, in the latest installment of the USA Today exclusive uh, uh, DAH HD program, Zach Whedon presents Serenity Downtime. He describes the tale as a slice of life, day on the ship story. Writing a complete story in eight pages was a daunting task for the veteran comic book and TV show scribe. It's very difficult. You have to be, be careful and really disciplined on how much time you spend with each of the characters, he says. The, char- the writer uh, felt added pressure knowing the level of knowledge and devotion the fans have for each character and story detail. Whedon says he is amazed at the patience and persistence of Firefly and Serenity followers. I don't know what the ingredients are to create fans like that, but it's wonderful. It's fun to write for those fans, but also intimidating. There's so much that the fans wish they had a chance to see but weren't able to because the show is taken away from them so early. 
That said, they know everything about the show and the movie. Uh, Whedon has tried to create an atmosphere resembling the scene from Firefly. I want to reward those fans by showing these characters like it was part of the show, he says. Downtime follows crew members uh, snowed in on a planet filled with, as Whedon puts it, a bunch of people who don't you don't want to run into. The whole crew is included. The focus is on the mysterious and uh, and, and our fan favorite uh, character known as River. Yeah. So I believe it's available through US Day today, but I'm not sure where else it's available. They are they don't they didn't say in the actual news article, but sounds like something I would definitely want to check out. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so uh, if anyone knows where to get it, let me know, uh, and we'll we'll put the link in the show note. But uh, we did not I did not see that. But actually, I just ran across a news article about half an hour before we began to do the show, so I didn't have a lot of time to research it, but. But it's very cool. It's, you know what, Miles? What's cool is that here we are. We are, you know, eight years later, and Firefly is still inspiring. You know? Oh yeah, I mean, um, Firefly. It's just, it's just not going to go away. I mean, it's still going to put out some comics. It's going to inspire people to put out fan films. And if you go to a sci-fi convention, you're going to see them dressed up as our favorite uh, uh, characters on that show. Absolutely. As uh, Kevin Bachelor likes to say, you can't stop the serenity. So it's <laughs> true. What was that? Wasn't that the name of the uh, the fan thing? Was that Can't Stop the Serenity? What was that fan film that came out? Not the Redemption, the other one. Uh, uh, about, the making, I, I, about the making of and the interview with the brown coats. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. The, the, that wasn't see, Can't Stop was, the Serenity, was it? Yeah, that's yeah, um, and there's the the podcast called The Signal. Right. Um, Anyways, whatever. It's it, it, There's other stuff out there regarding Serenity that you can check out. I'm sure plenty of podcasts. we got to move on. Um, Russell T. Davies said, uh, announced that while Torchwood, the new world, will disturb you. So if you weren't disturbed enough by Children of Earth, the new world will disturb you. So this is what it says. Torchwood, the new world, won't be back until next summer, which can't get here soon enough. But while we wait for us to turn, Russell T. Davies got our attention by letting us know the new series will disturb us. Uh, that's a nice thing to know. In an interview with the, Col- the Collider, Collider, I think it is, Davies and Julia Gardner opened a bit up a bit about the upcoming series Torchwood, which will see the return of Captain Jack Harkness, John Barrowman, and Gwen Cooper, Eve, Eve uh, Miles, the last two surviving members of the Torchwood team. The new series will also see the introduction of four new characters. Would he already know that the four series will mainly take place in the U.S., which would be a first? But Davies confirms that the time frame will be set two years after the events of Torchwood Children of Earth, basically real time, and will also take us to the U.S. Capitol. There will be scenes set in Washington, certainly, Davies said, but we won't go into Washington to shoot. No one does that anymore. But we have a very experienced production and design team, so we'll be able to do that. It's exciting. We know what the Master Davies can be pulling at. Our, we know that Master Davies can be pulling at our heartstrings. If the death of Ianto Jones and Captain Jack's grandson didn't affect you at the last time, you're made of ice. Davies warns us we should expect more of the same in the new world, saying about the upcoming series for that. It's just heartfelt, really. I mean, what I mean by is that the central issue goes to the heart of every one of us and every family. The questions it asks will cut right beneath your everyday life, work, sleep, food, and family, and goes right to the heart of who we are and why we're here. I think we'll challenge you, disturb you. It's the intensity of that ambition that's the most fascinating thing. That sounds really vague, but at the moment, you know, the initial core concept, everything I'm saying will make sense and sort of click into place in your brain. You'll say, oh, right, I see where this is heading. The questions never really stop. That's the fun of it. The whole 10 hours is a long time for a story to roll on, but that's much. But there's that much power behind it. It's self-generating, really. It's very exciting. It's proper, intelligent examination of some very big issues. 
And if the addition of a pedophile named Oswald Jones as a main character in the series is not disturbing, we don't know what is. But besides that, we are to expect more deaths, more heartbreak. Our guess is that yes, as Torchwood will, ne- as Torchwood never shied away from killing its main characters. There was, after all, Owen and Tosh before Yanto and Cap Jack's grandkid were killed. And for the nitpickers, we haven't forgotten Susie. They did kill her twice, after all, although she was a villain. And we're not sure how much more of this we can possibly take. But if the end result is as good as Children Earth, we're definitely on board will you be miles will you be um probably not at this point i never started watching torchwood so uh i'm not going to tackle that right now yeah you know and if and, and there's again there's so much on you know Batchelder and I were dialoguing back and forth about challenging each other to see series that we haven't uh, ever watched and uh, commenting on that and doing a show together sometime. But man, there's just so much good television out there and maybe some television that maybe isn't so good that we're watching right now. And I just don't have time. Maybe the summer. Maybe the summer. I think Torchwood is slated to come out during the summer and I have followed it up to this point. So I probably will follow it again. But yeah, whatever. But um. All right. Well, Miles, do you want to take this next story? I know it's not in blue, but why don't you go ahead and take the one about J.J. Abrams? Okay. Well, um, the, sh- the show, uh, the NBC show Undercovers has been canceled. NBC has canceled J.J. Abrams' spy series on un- un- Undercovers, and while production of the show's 13-episode order will-, will likely be completed, you may not get a chance to see how the show's mythology ends, said co-creator and executive producer uh, Josh Reams. With seven episodes of Undercovers having aired, plans are to air the next three episodes and they'll leave the final three in the can with the possibility they may run at some unknown point in the future, according to uh, HollywoodReporter.com. The most likely means either never or, or buried on a Saturday night five months from now. That's bad news for fans, especially since Reams told me in an exclusive interview a couple of weeks ago that the mythology has been being beefed up and would really kick in the end of the 13-episode order. The main direction we're headed in the overall scheme of things, we have some mythology that's starting to play out in the show now, which will get larger and larger as we go along to dreams. And we find out in episode 12 or 13, can't remember which, the real reason that, that Steve and Samantha were actually brought back to CIA as not just to save Leo, who is their friend. There's much more involved in that. Since it was announced last week that episode 13 would be called The Reason, I'm guessing that was going to be the big episode. NBC plans to keep the show, which stars uh, Boris uh, Kojo and uh, uh, Guja Mabatha Raw. As even <laughs> That's why I gave you this story. <laughs> the hard names. Yeah. Uh, on Wednesday at uh, 8, 8 p.m. With, with the final episode on the fall run airing on December 1st. Undercovers has been fi- falling in the ratings since the series premiered this fall. Uh, last night's series uh, drew only 5.8 million total viewers and a 1.3 rating in 18 to 49 adults. Despite the falling ratings, um, Reams was hopeful our conversation mid-October. I keep saying to the writers, we just have to do what we can do, which is try and make a good show. And then if people watch, they watch. Unfortunately, they didn't. And I didn't. I didn't either, but you know what? 5.8 million viewers seems like a lot of people. I'm surprised that... uh, But it's not a lot for a network show. I mean, when we're talking cable numbers, that's an immense amount. But when you talk about... I mean, I know that Smallville has been hanging around the 5.8 for the past couple of years, but CW is a little bit different of a network. But when you're talking about NBC, this is low numbers for NBC. Yeah, you're right. I just... Maybe I would think that... uh, the networks would, um, I don't know, just adjust their expectations. I mean, 
people have their choices what they want to watch. It's I mean, there's if you have cable, you have a lot of you know you have a lot of choices. But oh well, that's uh, that that's how they they, they judge uh, things, I guess. Yeah, that's how they judge it. All right, well, let's move into some movie news here before we move into this week of Star Trek. Um, movie news, it came out this week. David Duchovny confirmed that the X-Files 3 script, much to the surprise, is in the works. In an interview with the French magazine, French website TV Mag, David Duchovny revealed that the script for the third X-Files movie is being penned and that it will return to the series' conspiracy roots. Duchovny has been talking about a third X-Files movie for a while now, and after the self-contained story of X-Files, I want to believe, it looks like the third film will get back Back to the basics. And when I say basics, I mean the labyrinth and conspiracy cloak and dagger mumbo jumbo. Here's what David Duchovny had to say. Translation by X-File News. It's been written, one waits, one just waits a green light from Fox. A little disappointed from the relatively poor reception for the second film. The error comes, in my opinion, the author strayed too far from the roots of the series. Moreover, the film was released in the summer. The third will be much closer to what the public expects with the government conspiracy, etc. So there you have it. Details are otherwise scant, and that's given... And given that the public is pretty nebulous term, I'm just going to assume the movie's about what I would like to see from an X-Files movie. That is 90 minutes of Fluke Man. Um, thrilled to hear that? Well, so were we. However, it turns out that something got a little lost in translation because according to Collider, David Coveney's publicist has contacted us. She says that while Duchovny did an interview with the TV mag, what he said was lost in translation. Basically, there's no movement on X-Files 3 right now. So the truth is out there, and it turns out we just might need a little bit better French to English dictionary. So basically, Miles, what happened, he announces it, and I just can't imagine the French magazine getting that entire piece totally wrong. Yeah, it seems a little hard to believe. It seems to me that what might happen, he spoke either A, out of turn and got reprimanded for it, maybe released a little bit before he should have. That could be. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I would love to see an X-Files 3 movie, but the reality is after the X-Files 2 did the way it did, I was kind of surprised the story even came out. Right. I thought they would have just written off uh, X-Files, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, well, it looks like there's still that possibility, but uh, I think they might be playing with us there. But we had a lot of discussion on our Facebook fan page about this, and we'll talk a little bit about that in the uh, listener episode. Um, well, Miles, take us into the next piece of news. And this one is, I'm a little bit more, I'm excited about the X-File news if it's true, but I'm definitely a little bit more excited about this. Well, Ford is interested in making Indy 5. This is from a report from Slice Sci-Fi. Sounds like the parties involved are getting on the same page by a fifth Indiana Jones uh, uh, movie. Uh, we already know that uh, George Lucas is working on a script and that uh, Shia LaBeouf, would be interested in returning as Indy's son. Now you can add Indy himself to those uh, who would return. Uh, Harrison Ford said if the project was there, he'd be interested in donning the famous uh, fedora again. Oh, sure, I'd love to do he tells uh, Access Hollywood. Ford admitted that he and the producers, uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, would need to sit down and discuss where they would take the franchise next before making a sequel. He explained, if there's something that the three of us can agree on, I'd, I'd love to do it again. So what do you think of this, Miles? Um, mixed feelings. Um, I know that the, I, I saw the last film. I thought it was pretty good. I, I did hear, you know, some criticism of it, some maybe valid. Um, you know, I'll be a sucker if it, if they make an Indy five, we'll go see it. Um, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, 
Should they make another one? I I I, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, you know he you know Harrison Ford, you know he's in his mid sixties now, I mean, which which I they did address his age in the last movie, uh, some so at least they, you know they're not, you know trying to hide you know hide his age or anything, but I just wonder if they've uh, they've done all they can do with uh, this. You know, it's hard to know. It's hard to know, Miles. I, you know, and again, I agree. I will be a sucker and I will go see this thing the moment it comes out in the theater because it's indie. It's indie and there's something nostalgic about it. But, uh, you know, is this going to win over new fans? I don't know. Can Shia LaBeouf carry the indie legacy? I don't know about that either. Well, I like certainly, he certainly gained some variety in the sci-fi world with, uh, indie four and then obviously Transformers. He's just not a, He's just not a main character. He's just not. He doesn't carry the show for me. I don't think he carry the show. Yeah, I don't think he's a, a necessarily leading man material yet. Um, and um, my wife has had an obsession with Harrison Ford for many years. So yeah, you'll definitely uh, be seeing the show, Miles. <laughs> uh, we definitely got to go see it then. Yeah. All right. Well, this this is our last piece of movie news, and that is that Scarlett Johansson is to get under the skin as a sexy alien. Director Jonathan Glazer from Sexy Beast, along with Walter Campbell, has written a script based on Michael Faber's sci-fi novel Under the Skin. Glazer will direct the film, which will star Scarlett Johansson from Iron Man 2 and the Avengers as a woman who is from another world. Here is the description. Johansson plays an alien on Earth disguised as a perfect aesthetic form of a mesmerizing woman. She scours remote highways, and desolate scenery looking to use her greatest weapon to snare human prey. Her voracious sexuality, her voracious sexuality. She is a deadly, she's deadly efficient, but over time becomes drawn to and changed by the complexity of life on Earth. With his newfound humanity and weakening alien resolve, she finds herself on a collision course with her own kind. Taking her point of view throughout the film, the film presents a unique look at our world through alien eyes. Under the Skin is slated to hit theaters 2012, Will you, Miles? What do you think of this? Um, I think I it sounds a little like species, if you ask me. Oh, um, I'm thinking the same thing. I, in fact, I wrote in the show notes. Haven't we seen this before? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I this, I'm not very excited about this. I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, Scarlett Johansson. Of course, she is very easy on the eyes. Oh yeah, but, uh, absolutely. But has this has this been done before? Um, yes, it has. So, I mean, we'll have to see when they when we get some more information about it. But as of now, at this moment in time, it's not doing much for me. They're just trying to you know sell sci-fi with sex, and you know I, I you know I hope it's I hope it has a good plot. I hope it is some real good sci-fi, and that it is you know kind of this unique world, but. This just feels like they're just trying to, you know, get an excuse to have some sex and sci-fi together. I don't know. Yeah, and use a big name like Scarlett Johansson. Oh man, you put that in there, and who doesn't want to go see it, right? Right. Right. Well, Miles, why don't you take us into the twist? Well, if you if you've seen this. Uh on our Facebook fan page, I've talked a little bit about it, but this is just a, a little review of Captains of Final Frontier bio documentary. Uh, I would encourage you um, try to track this down if you can. It's well worth the watch, and I haven't even watched all of it yet. I've only watched a, a full hour, but um, um, but during the 40, past 44 years, especially after the proliferation of cable channels, there has been many television documentaries 
and just made text devoted to the subject of making of Star Trek. And after seeing them all, after a while, the behind-the-scenes stories and trivia can often become repetitive. How many times are we going to be told the story of uh, how fans saved Star Trek during its second and third seasons? You may be expecting some of the same with uh, Bio's uh, new uh, Captains of the Final Frontier, but as it turns out to be a surprisingly uh, refreshing take on the history of Star Trek, uh, told through the examinations of each of the captains with many new nuggets of trivia and interesting stories. The Captains of the Final Frontier is a well-organized and imaginative look at the Star Trek's greatest characters. The two-hour documentary, um, including the commercial breaks has an interesting style and organized structure. It, it begins with a quick history of the franchise for the uninitiated, but it doesn't get bogged down and quickly moves on to its look of each uh, Star Trek captain, starting with Kirk, and then sequentially through uh, Picard, Sisko, Janeway Archer, and Kirk again from the 2009 Star Trek movie. While a bit more time is devoted to Kirk and Picard, each captain is given a fair share of time and discussion. Uh, the entirety of the show is narrated and includes uh, clips and stills uh, including behind the scenes, uh, but the bulk of the doc consists of commentary from a, a pantheon of Star Trek experts. The list is uh, impressive and includes actors like uh, Kate Mulgrew, uh, Bruce Greenwood, Tim Russ, uh, Anthony Montgomery, uh, Nana Visitor, uh, Dominic Keating, Denise Crosby, Vaughn Armstrong, uh, also along with Star Trek novelists, uh, nonfiction writers, and other experts such as uh, Mike and Denise Okuda, uh, David R. George III, uh, uh, Kirsten Beyer, Keith uh, uh, Ari DeCandido, uh, David Mack, uh, Marco Palmieri, uh, Jeffrey T uh, Thorne, uh, Larry Nemechek, and Rod Roddenberry. Um, so like I said, I've only seen an hour of it, but um, and, but a lot in that first hour. I can't wait to see the next hour. And you recognize some of the names. Uh, these are people we, uh, Scott and I have had a chance to talk to in the past uh, um, with, the, with the Star Trek authors, um, uh, DeCanado, uh, Mack, and uh, um, and also we, we talked to Dominic Keating uh, this last summer at, um, at uh, Shore Leave. Absolutely. And I did not get a chance to DVR it, but I will be checking to see if I can find it on YouTube or maybe on the bio channel, see if they have it available. So, very cool. Well, Miles, thank you for bringing us our twist tonight. Really appreciate that. Before we go into our interview, we're just going to launch right into our interview after this promo we play. We want to play a promo from our good friend, Kevin Batchelder, and is tuning in to sci tuning into sci-fi TV. And they just kind of analyze all sorts of genre shows that are going on, and they really break down the episodes much more than we do, although we do a little bit of that in our listener episode. They take a much more detailed approach to it, um, and it's really a really good show to check it out. Tuning into sci-fi TV, here is their promo. Pass it on to the other guys, and I got it from his corpse. Right. Hello, Echo. How are you feeling? Did I fall asleep? For a little while. Previously on Heroes. You had to go and be the detective, didn't you, Matt? I'm not an aggressive person, but... Ugh, man, there's just way too much on all I these like channels. Things, but only in-game. Everybody lives, Rose. Just this one. In your dreams, not loaf. Bite my shiny metal hat. Sometimes I get, I get vision. Walter, what are you doing? What you learn? I wish there was some way to find out what's really worth watching. There is. What? Who? What was that? Tuning into Sci-Fi TV is the viewer's guide to genre television. Where is that coming from? 
With its spoiler-free quick reviews and water cooler and the spoiler-filled in-depth back porch discussions, Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV is the only resource fans need to know what's on, what's good, and what's coming soon in science fiction and fantasy television. How did you get into my house? Join Kevin, Wendy, and Brent each week for the latest in genre television. I'm calling the police. Uh, you can find Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV at TuningIntoSciFiTV.com. No, seriously. How did you get into my house? Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. We have an excellent interview in store for you tonight. Recently, a steampunk digital series, Reese Kingdom Falling, winner of the Streamy Awards for Best Cinematography and nominee for the Best Sound Design and Art Direction, is now being made available on Sci-Fi.com and Hulu. And uh, there's a couple other outlets we'll talk about, I'm sure. But the series was created by Ryan Koppel and Kalina Kiff, who are with us tonight. Ryan and Kalina, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having us. Glad yeah. to have you. Yeah, it was. It's awesome. Uh, now this this series, I, I've been. I want to tell you right up front. I've been loving this series. I love the idea that you have uh, uh, steampunk. So I come not only as uh, you know interviewing you, I come as a fan, sort of, of this entire genre Yay. series. So. So, so you you have my vote. You have my vote, definitely there, Miles. Did, and Miles, I don't I don't know if you did. Did you get a chance to check out the series at all? Um, I've, I've watched the first episode so far, and I'm going to keep watching. I, I I really like what I've seen so far. Very. Well, that's cool. a good sign. Yeah, it is. That's a it's a great sign. So, for our listeners that may not be too familiar with what Reese Kingdom Falling is about, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the story and some of the characters that they meet, and then we'll get into some of the uh, nitty gritty of the show a little bit. Go for it, Ryan. Haha, <laughs> 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 sucker. Well, Reese Kingdom Falling is about uh, centers on the, the journey of a actual princess named Reese. Um, when we meet her in the beginning, <clears throat> first episode, she's on the run, and we discover pretty quickly that she was part of the royal family that ruled the nation, Elysia. Um, but there was this coup that was staged by this really nasty clockwork religious group called the Sect. They took over the kingdom, and they put um, this, uh, the queen's cousin, Amara, on the throne. Um, and since then, things have kind of gone to hell. Um, people have really... It's, the land's been ravaged by war because Amara has been constantly trying to expand her territory and her realm, and the sect has been up to sort of no good things with the uh, with the common people of Elysia. And so, when we pick up the story, it's really about Reese sort of realizing that she can't just be on the run forever. She actually has to take a stand and fight back to protect her people and you know her her family's kingdom. Uh, and so, in the story, we do meet some other characters. Kalina? Uh, well, she travels with a wolf. And by wolf, we mean, yeah, a real wolf. We had a lot of people uh, saying, oh, a CGI wolf. Oh, an animated wolf. No, an actual wolf. Uh, so, this is Fenrir. It was her father's wolf. The wolves were sort of the totem animals of the kingdom. And uh, so, he survived the coup along with her. And the two of them uh, have been protecting each other for their years on the run. 
And then, of course, uh, the queen's sister, or sorry, the queen's cousin, Amara, is this nasty empress now, and uh, she's a bit of a badass. Who else do we have? Oh, Herrick. He is uh, one of the senior magisters of the sect, so he's essentially a heretic hunter, and he's been hunting Reese uh, for quite some time now, and uh, he's essentially um, a hybrid clockwork man. Uh, he's pretty eerie and uh, downright creepy. And who else do we have? We have... Trennan, who's uh, he's part of the sect, but he's also uh, Amara's aide. He's sort of the liaison between the, the royal family, the new royal family, and the sect, because <clears throat> they've sort of been combined forcefully ever since the coup. And he's sort of, he's probably the most human character of the bunch. He's sort of being put in this position where he's, he's uh, very friendly and affectionate to Amara, but the sect might have their own agenda for her, so he's sort of stuck in the middle. Um, and besides the sect and the religion, or the religious group and the royal family, there's also this uh, group called the Resistance that's made up of um, a bunch of commoners and supposed heretics who are fighting back against the sect in Amara. Um, and they're, they're led by Rand, who is this really um, enigmatic character played by Ryan Robbins. And he gets to be the sort of the, the brave heart one. <laughs> he's the, uh, you know, the ragtag leader and just really strong and physically scarred and he's, you know, emotionally and physically. Um, and who else, Kalina? And he has uh, two comrades at arms uh, played by Emilia Ullerup and Alessandro Giuliani and they, they, uh, they're, they the, I guess, the generals of his army. So it's uh, a nice group. And right. uh, I guess we have one sort of um, bogey in there. Alison Mack plays a sect character called Marlise. And she's just generally up to no good. Uh, yeah, from the interviews I saw with her, that's that's the way it seemed to play it. We haven't seen her in any episodes yet, though, have we? Not in the first five. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I coming believe up. Uh, Thursday. I think Thursday's the day. Thursday. No, Tuesday. No, not sorry. Thursday. Oh, sorry. Uh, all right. Well, by the time this episode is out, by the, the next Tuesday after this episode comes out, it'll be there. So, Alice Mack. So. We'll call it Alice Mack Day. Yeah, Alice yeah. Mack Day, Tuesday. <laughs> Next Tuesday, it's Alice Mack Day. Now, so you mentioned some notable actors there. You have a couple other people on board as well that are kind of uh, notable uh, actors that you've kind of brought into the show. Can you tell us a little yeah, bit about we really, them? Yeah, we were lucky because Vancouver is such a hotbed for sci-fi, um, the genre. I mean, practically, in practically every sci-fi show shoots up here. So, it's, there's, it's Pretty rampant with the uh, with uh, some strong actors. Yes, they're so everywhere. You throw a brick and you, you hit a sci-fi actor. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's that bad. Um, we were really lucky that we have uh, well in our lead role, Christine Chatelaine, um, lovely and absolutely gorgeous, um, and very very tough, surprisingly. <laughs> and she was in what show uh, before? She was in. Uh, she had a role in Sanctuary for uh, some episodes. She was also starred in one, a show called The Collector. Um, it's a Canadian show, but it's very sci-fi and sort of supernatural in uh, in, in flavor. Oh, cool. Thank you. And she's done other spots on shows like Supernatural and, and whatnot. Um, we also have Patrick Gilmore from Stargate Universe. Um, he plays Trennan. Uh, we have Ben Cotton, who's been on Atlantis and Harper's Island, and he plays Herrick. And Sharon Taylor from Stargate Atlantis and more recently Smallville, where she played Zod's wife. <laughs> Okay. It's pretty awesome. Uh, uh, Sharon Taylor. And am I forgetting anyone, Kalina? Um, I think that's about it. Amanda Tapping. Yeah. 
Oh, uh, yeah. right. Oh, right. Her. <laughs> there's, just, there's just that small <laughs> actor. Yeah, just her. She's so fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she came on board once we uh, joined forces with SciFi.com. Uh, we had done a re-edit of the episodes to introduce all of the characters more quickly uh, because we shot uh, the first episodes in August and the second episodes in December. So by merging the episodes and telling the story in a slightly different order, um, it really lent itself to having... Um, a fairy tale narrator, essentially, and there's really we could not have gotten a better choice than uh, Amanda Tapping. She was so much fun to work with. And come on, she's Amanda Tapping. Oh, me? Yeah, come on. You know, <laughs> she, she she is Stargate practically, and then Sanctuary, and you just can't beat it. So yeah, she's a, she's a busy woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, just just a little bit. So. Oh man, uh, Miles, go ahead. So when. Excuse me, what is the significance of title Reese? Uh, it actually, um, the story originated as a short uh, to begin with, and so it started off as more of as this young woman who's actually traveling on the wolf, um, and she's just visiting this small town, and it's, it's, all these, it's all these weird moral dilemmas, and I, uh, a friend and I wrote it, and I approached Kalina with the script, and she had said, no, 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 let's let's do this as a series, not just a short. And so then together, Kalina and I created the actual show, Reese. So originally the character was named, a lot of the character names were inspired by German. Um, and Reise in German actually means wander. So we decided to play with that name a little bit to make it more pronounceable, but still have the homage to, in essence, Reese is a wander. He wanders from place to place. Um, she has a, a goal, obviously, in the direction, but... Still keeps that idea that she's in the end just an explorer. Hmm. Well, very cool, Miles. Yeah, I want um, that. Um, you kind of answered the second part of this other question, but um, uh, what was the inspiration for setting it up in, in a steampunk universe? Well, it's an aesthetic that really appealed to us. Um, not necessarily in a purist sense. We always say that we're steampunk inspired because our show certainly isn't um, Victorian-era envisioned future. Instead, it's the uh, anachronistic blendings of different worlds. So we're sort of a darker Middle Ages mixed with World War One, And really, it just came down to an aesthetic that we were trying to uh, express with our concept artists. And then the more we looked at it, we said, I think something like this exists. And so uh, we did a bit of research and went, oh, right, it has a name. <laughs> we didn't make that up. Um, but instead of instead of just glomming on to all the specific uh, steampunk rules, we thought, let's not um, just, you know, be redundant and uh, let's create something a little bit newer and different and more specific to this this world that uh, we want to uh, explore. We're really inspired by uh, City of Lost Children, the uh, the film by Jouet, and then uh, Time Bandits by Terry Gilliam. We just love uh, those strange, creepy contraptions uh, from those movies and their look and feel and texture. Well, you definitely have some uh, strange, creepy contraptions on that uh, one man, so that's for sure. <laughs> they get weirder. They get so much weirder. Oh, like, man. Uh, the next few episodes are... It gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, when, you, when, you, when, you watch, when you watch him, he, he's eerie because you can't read his face at all. You know, there's just yeah. nothing, and the face communicates so much. And then when you hear his voice, it's you know the scene. I won't give this away, but there's a scene in the episode that dropped today, the the fifth episode, that is just chilling when he has that encounter with the doctor. That is just yeah. incredible, and it just kind of sets him up as being really sinister at that point for me. 
You know, we spent a lot of time on that character, both with Ben's uh, physical performance on camera, but then after the fact with our sound design team, uh, really making sure that the voice was just so. Ben's voice on its own is already eerie enough when he's inside the mask, but then they did this great treatment to it. And we, we would go really far and then say, okay, bring it back a couple steps. And then wait, let's add a little bit of this weird grinding in over here. So I, I'm, I'm so thrilled with the way he's turned out because he still gives me the creeps and I've seen the show a few hundred times. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> my my own favorite thing about Herrick is um, the funny thing you don't realize when you're shooting is that he his lines we have to record afterwards uh, because we need to have a clean recording to do all the effects to. So when he's giving his performance, it's much different than what you're hearing. A lot of times he will just make up his own lines and <laughs> just do it in a high-pitched girly voice and it's like, oh, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Our favorite was Howdy Princess. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He's funny. Oh man. Now, how how hard was it to get him into that outfit? Or is it a lot easier than it seems? I mean he seems encased. Um, that well, one wasn't too hard. <laughs> yeah. The 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 actual outfit itself, like the clothes are easy. The mask it, it it's it's usually a two person job. It it doesn't take that long, but I think it's the more uncomfortableness of it. Uh, that starts to happen. It wasn't so bad when we were shooting indoors, but outdoors on a hot day, I can tell you right now that is not going to be a fun or pleasant smelling mask. <laughs> yeah, he, and luckily the the little face part with the mouth and nose are did pop off regularly, so he could breathe properly. But yeah, his costume was nothing compared to uh, the costume that Christine Chatelain wears as Reese. I believe it has 18 or 19 separate pieces to it. Wow. And uh, I, was, I was watching some old uh, interviews with her and, and I asked her about, uh, about the costume. And she says, I, have, I can't get into it myself. I can't get out of it myself. It takes a team of people to help me go to the washroom. Because <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> there's so many pieces. And then on top of that, the cape that she wears is so beautiful, but so, so heavy. So anytime she's doing a fight scene, she needs to have it sewn into place so that it doesn't choke her. In fact, in the, uh, the episodes coming up, uh, it, we were shooting in winter, and it was about mm, 30 degrees Fahrenheit to 40 degrees Fahrenheit, so damn cold. And uh, she had the choice of wearing the cape or not for this uh, pivotal fight scene, and she said, <laughs> no cape, no cape. I'll go with cold instead. Wow. So it's a bit cumbersome. <laughs> wow. Now, um, <clears throat> Herrick does mention, I believe it's Herrick mentions today, something about airships get his airship ready are we maybe you can't tell me this but uh, are we going to see airships coming up oh we would love to lie to you right now okay. <laughs> yes um, every episode there are, out. There, are episodes, there, there is two airships in episode one in the uh in the just overlooking asgard right um fortunately we wanted to keep reese very um the show very textured and real, and so we did stray away from visual effects as much as possible. There are only two in the whole show, and they're in the very beginning, the first episode. Um, so we didn't really want to do any airships because we were like, we don't have the budget to do it well. Right. It's easy. So we were sort of, we, we, we do have, you know, not that we would get to go to actual series, we do have episodes planned that are like full on airships the entire time. So it, we do want to embrace that side of it, but we're waiting until we can actually tell it well enough that you'll become immersed in it and not be like, wow, this is really bad CGI. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because there's nothing that uh, really ruins a good show when you have that sort of cheesy CGI in it. So Yeah. Exactly. So very exactly. cool. Now, uh, 
Discuss the process of getting picked up by sci-fi. Well, we, as Kalina was saying, we shot in August last year, the first five, and then the second five in December. Um, back then, we were calling them two different chapters, but now they've sort of all blended together at this point with the sci-fi re-edits. Uh, we'd released six of the episodes before we were contacted by a company called Fireworks International. They're a digital distribution company that's a branch of, a, of another company called Content Films. So we actually had to take all our episodes down at that point, much to the chagrin of many people. <laughs> we yeah. felt very bad, but as we assured them, you know, it's all for the greater good of the show, um, because there's no way we could keep making the show by ourselves. It's um, it's not a huge budget web series, but it's certainly costly. <laughs> right. Um, and then at that point, Fireworks began um, sort of shopping around, and Sci-Fi immediately was like, hey, you know, we've heard about this. This is something that we were interested in picking up and <laughs> worked out well. <laughs> and we do also have um, international deals happening because uh, unfortunately right now it is only available in the U.S. Um, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, what is the, is there a, we've had people from across the pond that listen to us and we've been talking about Reese said, well, unfortunately we don't get Reese over here. Um, so where... Uh, <laughs> Soon. Yeah. Okay. Soon. And uh, any any idea or no timetable on that yet? Um, I don't know about timetables. The problem is that it's at this moment it's literally sitting in the business affairs offices of two different companies, so we don't really have any control at this point. We've certainly pushed and prodded and you know pointed to the internet, be like, look at all the buzz we're getting, and look how mad everyone else is in the world that they can't watch it. <laughs> so you would think that would incur them to go a little quicker, but. As we've learned with contracts, they are the slowest thing in the world. Right. The good news is, is that we have licensed it worldwide, so it will play worldwide, and I, I can't imagine it being more than a short time from now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to lock myself into anything I can't get out of. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the good news is, is that it's, it's essentially a done deal. It's just a matter of when. Right. Now, uh, now, Kalina, you directed the first five episodes. What was it like bringing to life something that you helped give birth to or create? Oh, it was so much more fun to uh, direct something that I uh, shared in writing. Um, I'd been able to direct a few times uh, before with amazing writers, for sure, but it's so different when you're typing and you're already seeing what you're going to film. Uh, weeks later, so it was a it was a thrill for me, and uh, unfortunately, a little bit addictive. I don't know if I I wanted to go back to <laughs> shooting other people's uh, ideas, so it was um, a thrill. And I think overall, it came out the way that we had intended it to. I mean, certainly budget limitations, time limitations, um, take the edge off of your dreams. Wolf um, limitations. Yeah, wolf <laughs> limitations. But all in all, um, I I was just thrilled with the whole experience, and I had such a great team behind me making me look good. So it was a little thrill. Uh-huh. And Ryan, did you did you direct any? I didn't see any on the website. I didn't know if you. Were a part of that at all? No, I I sat out in the directing. I uh, I've written a number of things, more academic work than actual scripts. But I didn't, you know, this wasn't the time to sort of get my hat into the directing pool. Like, <laughs> okay, let's, let's, let's let more seasoned people take care of this. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, our other director was Nicholas Humphreys, and he is a, a frequent collaborator of ours over the years. Uh, he and I have done a number of short films on 35 mil, and he's uh, he's his 
style was so specific to the uh, second set of episodes uh, that there was really no other choice. And he produced our first five episodes, and he's one of our, our long-term partners. So oh, wow. uh, it was definitely a family affair. Very cool. Our other producing partner, Dan Fletcher, who we should give a shout-out to as well, is <laughs> yeah. absolutely wonderful, and I'm sure he will be directing some the our, our next set of works. He's also he actually is directing a Bollywood uh, trailer right now. So. Yeah, we do all sorts of funny things. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're multifaceted. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. It gives you uh, some variety in what you do, that's for sure. Um, what has how, how has the response been to... Now, Reese has been kind of released twice, but how has this re-release of it on the sci-fi, sci-fi uh, channel's site, sci-fi.com. How has the response been to that? I mean, I see what I'm seeing well, in the Twitter stream is like positive. I mean, is that the general consensus here? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely been some people who I think we kind of refer to them as the old guard where who are there from the beginning. And I think watching the episodes again with the narration, it, it does reveal a lot more information quickly. Um, in the first round of episodes that we did back when it was just us editing them. Uh, we didn't find out that Reese was a princess till episode five. And now in the new episodes, you find out in almost a minute, like right. under a minute, that right away she's a princess and that this is her journey. This is what she's doing. Um, so I think some people were sort of like, well, you know, it takes away the mysteriousness of it or, you know, we know too much now. Um, but for people who are newer to the show or who had watched a couple episodes before but are watching it again, they're enjoying it so much more because what's what's happened is that the mysteries are still there. You know, we, we may know who Reese is, but we still don't know what the sect is doing. We still don't know, you know, why they took over this kingdom. Um, it's just that you have context for the mystery. So by knowing more about Reese up front, what we, what we see happening is that you actually are more invested in the characters. Hmm. Kalina, would you agree with that? Absolutely. And uh, I think it's, I mean, having Amanda involved just sort of gave it uh, this different spin where we we were able to convince people that this is a fairy tale, a steampunk fairy tale that kicks ass. And I think she did a great job of setting the tone for that. Um, and luckily, I'd say, even though <laughs> a lot of the fans at first it bumped for them, I think they've all come around to it because uh, it does give it this... Uh, otherworldliness that I don't think was there in the original ones. So all in all, we're pretty grateful that not only did our stand, our fans stick it out and, and watch them again to see the changes, but now that they're uh, about to get rewarded and uh, see the new stuff. <laughs> Miles, uh, go ahead. Uh, our friend Kevin Batchelder from uh, uh, tuning into the Sci-Fi uh, TV podcast asks, uh, how many fans who saw this series before went to sci-fi.com? Um, and why has why has it changed and why? What has, right. I'm sorry, what, what has changed and why? Uh, you, you said some of that already, but maybe expand upon that. Um, well, I think uh, the fact that we shot and released five episodes before the other five was an amazing market test for us, seeing what worked, what uh, could be changed for the better uh, for our fans to respond. Uh, when you're working with the web, it's such a new format, and audiences aren't really sure what they want to begin with. So you can't really expect them to sit still for 10 minutes uh, like they would in, in a movie theater. So I think that uh, we told the story a little bit um, to um, 
Slow was the word that was used a lot, but I feel like we told it in a very um, eerie, atmospheric way, and I don't think that that played as well on the web as it could have on television or in a film. So we introduced uh, four new characters, I believe, in our second set of episodes, and our production budget was higher, so we had uh, more extras and greater sets and greater costumes. And so when we had the opportunity to work with sci-fi, we were able to take all that we had learned from the first episodes and absorb that and rearrange the story so that it would come out faster, more interestingly, and in a way that uh, would work for sci-fi fans, because essentially they became our bosses. And so uh, we wanted to make sure that the fan base that they care about, that they're loyal to, uh, was getting the, the, um, the film that they wanted to see. So I think yeah. we were able to do that. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, with sci-fi when they came on is that they never were trying to change the vision or the story. It was just the way it was coming out. So I think by adapting it from just, you know, about a, a lone wanderer sort of on this journey that we were, and she's our our window to it. Instead, we get pulled into this entire epic kingdom war fairy tale. So I think they really did help to <clears throat> elevate it. And I think a lot of those elements did come out in the second uh, set of episodes that are about to be seen. But now with sci-fi's re-editing and their notes and our own <clears throat> changes and adaptations, you're able to get that epicness much earlier. Mm-hmm. And they were really open to collaborating with us. And we pretty much presented them the order that we wanted to tell the story in now that we had this uh, do-over, essentially. Um, and they were so on board with uh, our picture changes. So then it was just a matter of making sure that the narration had struck the right tone. Very cool. Go ahead, Miles. Um, without giving away any spoilers, uh, what do our listeners have to look forward to? Um, <laughs> well, you thought Babies in Crates was crazy? Oh, uh, oh man. <laughs> babies grow up, so there's there's kids involved. So That's a, a, a tiny spoiler there. Yeah, and um, we do start to really delve into more of the backstory about the sect and sort of what their... We, there's a lot of answers, but there's still a lot of questions. So, oh, very good. <laughs> so, that was great. That was <laughs> that's probably as good as we're going to get, right? We don't want to give too much away. Here. We get to know a lot more about Amara as well. So we get yeah. to see a lot more of Sharon Taylor. No, and we good. do find out some mysteries about Reese's past as well. Mm-hmm. There's dun, dun, more dun. her family that meets the eye. <laughs> very cool. Well, you know, I think that's probably pretty good. That is, that's <laughs> pretty, I think it's pretty good. We now... I have a question for you that based off of what you said about the sect, how can people join the sect? Rumor is that there's a website out there. There is. <laughs> the sect is here. Dot com. Yeah, it's funny. It was actually, we originally created that as a way to, when we were doing the web launch, to give some backstory about the sect and let people sort of try to immerse themselves in it, the world a bit more. Because we did have an alternate reality game that we did last year. Um, when we were doing our web launch, and that that website was part of it. But it still serves as sort of a fun, interesting way to see more about what the sect is into and what they're doing. Very cool. Well, I did did run across, I said, oh, i got to ask him about this. So it's done very well. It kind of draws you in and gives you information on how you can join up. 
So yeah, pretty yeah. I love the uh, the videos of Amara. Oh, I those know. fuzzy videos that break through. They're so eerie. Because <laughs> if you're on the site long enough, the one will just pop up randomly. It was so creepy. The first <laughs> I know. Time that Why is it doing it? Why is it doing it? <laughs> I was I was running in the background while I was working today, and they kept popping up. I was like, "Hey, <laughs> very cool." <laughs> now, uh, any chance? And I'm sure you've been asked this question before. What it, what will it take to bring Reese to TV? to the sci-fi channel itself views <laughs> as many views as possible yeah sci-fi is at this point said that they are they're obviously interested in developing it into more um the they've taken the webisodes as a way to sort of do not a piloting but just a way to test the market and see you know what kind of views it gets and then what kind of response it gets. And so we've been, I'm not sure what the reviews or what the view amounts are right now, but I do know that the response has been, you know, very positive and good. And I think especially when, you know, because unfortunately Kafka was just taken off the air and I know a lot of people are worried about sci-fi becoming the wrestling channel. Nice point to Reese and be like, well, look, you know, they are still doing fantasy and they're even trying a new genre now as steampunk. So, Sort of, I think they're 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 enjoying that. This timed out nicely for them with that. Yeah, well, you know, it, it is interesting to see the way they. It is by the time Reese is said and done, you'll have an about an hour episode, a little under an hour episode, uh, which is basically a pilot. You know, when all the episodes are combined together. Yeah, it's actually a two-hour pilot. In fact, in some of the uh, international licensed territories, uh, it will be played on television as a two-hour movie of the week. Uh, in another country, it's going to be a straight-to-DVD movie. Um, but really, for, for all intents and purposes, it was our pilot to establish the world, to set up the kingdom, and to entice viewers and hopefully the network into saying, yeah, let's see what happens next. Tell us a little bit, before we uh, wrap up the interview here, tell us a little bit about the iPhone game. Kalina? <laughs> no, go crazy. Go crazy. <laughs> uh, the iPhone game, it was actually funny because we started developing the game before we shot anything. Uh, because we were doing the web approach, we thought, well, we really wanted to try and do some kind of other transmedia engagement that wasn't just like a Flash game online or a website. So uh, we thought, oh, well, let's just try and do a game. So there was this company called Genius Factor, and they're all ex-EA guys, and uh, EA is a pretty big game company in town here, and so a lot of people will go from there and start their own companies, and we were one of their first original IPs that they were trying out. Um, and we thought, okay, well, what would be a really fun game that would fit well with this crowd and this sort of genre? And so that's how we said, okay, well, let's do a card battle, sort of RPG, um, kind of like Magic or the Pokemon card game. And from there it evolved into, it's, it's almost like Magic meets Risk. It's a bit of a board game where you're battling for control of Elysia. You can play as the three different factions in the show. There's the Resistance, um, the Sect, and you can also play as the Elysian royal family, which is Amara's uh, ruling family, basically. And, yeah, you, just, you end up con- trying to conquer nation after nation to take over the country or to liberate the country. Um, and the really fun thing that we had as a benefit was uh, having Felicia Day come on as a narrator for it. Um, that came about because we started to work with sci-fi and they were, we were starting to build in the narrator and we thought, well, you know, we really fun to build a narrator into the game as well so it feels organic as, as part of the show. And 
you know, there's all these different provinces that you have to battle for. Wouldn't it be great to have someone tell you about this region and this part of the kingdom and what's happened and everything? So, you know, thankfully, uh, we'd met Felicia last year at the Streamies, and we all became friends, and we said, hey, would you like to do this? And she was on board, and it was just a lot of fun to have her part of the, be part of the world. Yeah, and we really enjoy the idea of having a game that is so grounded in our world. I, I keep saying it's like a Mobius loop um, that the game uh, builders would ask us to research this thing and give us some answers, and then we would do that, and then those answers would be perfect for an answer that sci-fi needed about the world in the live action. And so we realized the more that we developed one, the better the other one got. And so now we have all these amazing uh, provinces with so many different uh, stories going on in them that Reese will get to travel to uh, if the live action continues. So we're hoping that uh, if, if the show does continue, that we'll be able to foster that kind of, uh, I guess, 360 plan. Uh, we have a, a book deal that we're talking about right now, as well as co- um, comic books. So we really hope that we can always um, give fans a whole lot of different ways to experience what we think is a pretty epic story. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, I haven't played the game yet, but I did look it up and I did read about it. And I did know Felicia Day. We did interview Felicia Day, I guess, what was it, earlier this year, Miles? Yeah, back in February. Yeah. So, she's so fun. Oh, she's great. And she was such a great person to just sit down and chat gaming with and mm-hmm. just the guild and everything else that she does. But, Miles, yeah, do you have... sort of how we played Bonded was through RPGs. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, do you play a lot of RPGs? This is kind of off topic, but... Oh, yes. That's that's in my staple since I was probably in third, second grade. I still remember playing the first Final Fantasy on NES. And, yeah, ever since then, we just went from Final Fantasy to Dragon Warrior to Persona to all of them. I mean, it's, it's sort of my guilty, my <laughs> guilty uh, pleasure <laughs> that I let myself get away from work by playing RPGs because I have an Xbox and three uh we PS3, so I play them all. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that comes out in the pike, you play. Very, well, yeah. very cool. Miles, do you have any other questions? Well, since we mentioned Felicia Day, any chance we might see her on an episode of uh, Reese? Very big chance. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. Yeah, if, if the show goes to Sci-Fi Network, I think that that's a given. Yeah, we just yeah. we can't wait to work with her. And <laughs> I think she would fit into this world beautifully. Oh, yeah. I could just see her as part of the set. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, I know the uh, image that you released where you kind of made her steampunk. Yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah. That was very cool. It's, it's, a, it's my wallpaper on my phone right now. Oh, yay. Miles is over there. Some ideas for who else we should steampunk, and we'll uh, get it done. (laughs) Nice, nice. We should steampunk you, Miles. That's what we should do. Oh, that's just scary. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, well, thank you guys for just sitting down and chatting about Reese and devoting a little bit, about half an hour of your time here, just to share a little bit about the show and about where it's going and and, uh, just how it all came about. We really appreciate that. Well, we really appreciate you guys uh, giving us the coverage because we need all the views we can get and all the fan love possible because uh, this is really the little show that could or might. <laughs> right. right. So, uh, <laughs> it's certainly been built on this uh, community that got behind us back uh, a year ago. Yeah. Um, so we've been lucky, lucky, let me tell you. Yeah. So where can people find out more about you, either on Twitter or uh, obviously where can they find Reese? <laughs> Uh, well, the first place to go would be to sci-fi.com backslash Reese, and Reese is spelled R-I-E-S-E. 
Um, that's where you can watch episodes. There's some behind-the-scenes clips, uh, character bios, even some fun little wallpapers, and a forum to join. Uh, and then you can follow us on Twitter at Reese the Series. So, sounds like a palindrome, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, very cool. Well, thank you guys again for coming on the show, and really appreciate that. Yeah, well, thank, thank you again for having us. Well, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Donner Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our interview with the creators from Reese, with both Ryan Koppel and Kalina Keff. What an awesome interview we had chatting with those guys, Miles. Oh, they, they were great and uh, um, nice, nice, nice couple people, and um, a good project these they have going on too. Uh, so check check it out. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely a good project. Well, we got to work toward wrapping up this show, but before we do, we do have our Sci-Fi 5 and 5. And I listed this out on Twitter and got a little bit of feedback, so part of it's my own, part of it is from other people. But the Sci-Fi 5 and 5 tonight is focused on a particular superhero whom we all know as Spider-Man. Miles, do you like Spider-Man as a superhero? Uh, I, I enjoy Spider-Man a lot, yeah. Yeah, so a very good superhero, what, no matter what you thought of the current movies, um, although I did like the first one a lot. But, uh, you, mean, I, you know, once you got into some of that, I know there were some complaints about the later movies, but this deals with Spider-Man in general, all right? So here they are in no particular order. Here are the top five, the sci- my sci-fi five and five, the top five reasons to like Spider-Man. And the first one is that Spider-Man can juggle everyday problems. And this came from Eric Fisher on Twitter. Um, and so that was my number one. And actually, this kind of went with it. And number, it's my number two that, you know, he kind of has this mantra that with great power comes great responsibility. You, you remember that, Miles? Oh, I do. Yeah. Yes. So something that's kind of his catchphrase. And what a great catchphrase to have as a hero. I know that other heroes have said it, but Spider Man, he definitely says it. Um, number three, that the thing that's cool about Spider-Man is that is the spider bites. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? He gets bit by that spider, boom, he's a stronger man, right? So getting bit by a spider is not the worst thing that can happen to you. A little motivational speaking. There. Right, right, right. And uh, number four, the other cool thing about Spider-Man is you get to climb walls. I mean, who hasn't been obstructed by a barrier sometime that you just want to climb over? I know I have. That talent would have helped me a lot, a lot on my job. Yeah, I tell you, you'd bypass your ladders, get get up on the roof real quick. You do some AC, AVAC, you know, HVAC, you know, that whole thing, man. And the last one, number five, is you get to kiss Kirsten Dunst, or I mean, Mary Jane Watson. I mean, come on, who doesn't want to do that? Sounds good to me. That's how. Hey, I'm not arguing with that. So that's my sci-fi five and five, five reasons to like Spider-Man. 
And if you want to give us your sci-fi five and five, just email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. You can email an audio clip to us with you reading your sci-fi five and five or just type them up and we'll read them on the show. You can also um, hey, call us at one 508 I forgot our phone number for a moment. And that's another way to send them to us. Well, Miles, is there anything else we need to talk about in the show before we wrap it up? No, I think we served up a good menu tonight. Man, it was a delicious menu, and we are so thankful that you guys joined us tonight. If you have not done so, please check out our Facebook fan page. We have a lot of devoted fans dialoguing about different news stories, thoughts, things that are coming on the pike, and we just love having you guys be a part of that community. And uh, it's absolutely awesome. And I believe that is it, Miles. Okay, well, until next time, Good night and good luck. We will see ya. Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. If you want to find out more about the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, please visit SciFiDinerPodcast.com where you can find show news, pictures, videos, and many other things about the Sci-Fi Diner. You can also find the Sci-Fi Diner where else, Miles? We have a Facebook fan page and uh, we have very active discussion going on there between uh, Scott and myself and you, the listeners. So I encourage you, please uh, join our Facebook fan page and let's talk some sci-fi. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash sci-fi diner. You can find me on Twitter. That's uh, Herzog, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G. And I am uh, Son of Worf uh, at Twitter. And I also uh, on uh, Trek Space, uh, Son of Worf at Trek Space. And, Lee, and we want to hear from you. So please email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. Or call our listener line at one 508 4343 and let us know your thoughts of what you're watching, what you like, what you don't like. We want to hear from you. 